Today we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Good Morning Holy Spirit. And if you've ever attended one of our encounter retreats, and you've probably heard me use that phrase, Good Morning Holy Spirit is a just a simple reminder of how we can acknowledge and invite the Holy Spirit into our everyday life. And literally almost every day of my life, I wake up and the first words out of my mouth are Good Morning Holy Spirit. Spirit. And it's just a simple way that I've learned in my life how to just begin to acknowledge and invite His presence to work in my life. And so this series is really going to be dedicated to exploring all the unique expressions of the Holy Spirit in our life. He works in so many amazing ways. And we're going to spend the next few weeks just really diving in to how the Holy Spirit works in our life and how we can continue to be open and invite Him in so He can work and move in us and more importantly, even than that, working and moving through us to touch our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So if you're a note taker, you're following along, you can look at that first point. So the heartbeat of this series, and I'm going to get my little clock out here so I will land the plane on time sometime here today. The heartbeat of this series is really to launch us into a transformational relationship, a transformational relationship. What's a transformational relationship? It's the kind of relationship that changes your life. How many of you understand that we were created by God and we were created for God? You were made by God and you were made for God. You have a purpose and you have a plan that can really only be discovered in your relationship with God through His Son, through the person of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to look at through this series is how do we cultivate that transformational relationship? How do I go from the person that I am to the person that God has called me to be? And we're going to recognize that the key to that transformation really is rooted in that relationship with God and Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit. So the heartbeat is to launch us into that transformational relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, through a personal relationship with God the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is speaking. And look what Jesus said. He says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you, God the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life, according to Jesus, is a relationship. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Not know about you, but know you. That they may have a real relationship with you. This is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, rose again on the third day so that we could have life. And what we're going to recognize is that the key to knowing God and knowing Jesus is through the person of the Holy Spirit. If you are a student of Scripture in any way, form, or fashion, you understand the Bible says the Lord our God is one, but He reveals Himself to us in three very distinct, unique ways. He is God the Father, He is God the Son, and He is God the Holy Spirit, right? God the Father created us, God the Father purposed us, God the Father breathed us literally into existence. Jesus came to redeem us, and the Holy Spirit came to empower us to live that transformational Life. Look with me at our next scripture this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, Now all of us can come to the Father 
through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. All of us can come to the Father. How are we going to come to the Father? Through the Holy Spirit. How are we going to come through the Holy Spirit? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So we begin to recognize that if I'm going to go to the Father, I can only go to the Father through the Spirit, and I only have access to the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we see that divine trinity. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together to draw us into a transformational relationship with God. Not religion, not rules, not legalism, but a real life giving relationships. How many know relationships are the most exciting thing in your life? That was kind of weak. <laughs> Y'all are like, ooh, yeah, relationships. Let me flip the coin. You might feel this one a little bit deeper. How many know relationships not only create the most excitement, but they also create the most pain? <laughs> That's sad. We agree on that one a little better, but it's true. Because your greatest joys and your greatest sorrows are always connected to relationships. Your greatest joys and your greatest sorrows are always connected to relationships. And you know what I know about relationships? They're not static. They don't just stay the same. They are ever-changing. Kelly and I just celebrated last week our 33rd wedding anniversary. Come on, somebody. 33 years we've been husband and wife, and I am still figuring her out. I mean, I'm just telling you. She is fearfully and wonderfully made, and I promise you she looks at me some days and says, who are you? Right? I I mean, it is so crazy. Relationships are not static. They are ever-changing and ever-growing. You know why? Because I'm, I'm changing and I'm growing and I'm becoming, hopefully, more of who God has called me to be. And when you recognize the fact that eternal life is not wrapped up in religion, eternal life is not wrapped up in rules and regulations, eternal life is wrapped up in a relationship. With God. It's knowing God and His Son Jesus Christ. It's knowing Him. It's the interaction. It's the ups and downs. It's, it's the highs and the lows. It's the joys and the sorrows. I'm just telling you, my relationship with God has produced amazing joy. And there have been some all there have also been some deep sorrows as I've worked through things that I did not understand. But it's a relationship. And it's a life-giving thing that God wants to work into our lives. And as we embrace that relationship with God, we have to embrace the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. He is God. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says this. It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The truth is most Christians understand the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We understand the grace of God, unmerited favor, divine empowerment. Most people understand the love of God the Father, right? They understand that God is love and that perfect love, the Bible says, casts out all fear. But the average Christian, just to be honest with you, struggles with that last element, and that is the fellowship 
of the Holy Spirit. Most Christians don't understand what it means to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And here's the problem. If you don't understand fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then you won't walk in the fullness of His grace and you won't walk in the fullness of God's love. You'll never know the fullness of the grace of Jesus Christ and you'll never know the fullness of the love of God the Father unless you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The word fellowship literally means relationship. It is communion, it is connection, it is interaction. It's what we have with one another, except it's not just with a human being, it's with a holy God who has sent his spirit to now live and abide and dwell on the inside of us. And what we're going to see and discover today as we lay a foundation for this series is the critical importance of cultivating that fellowship and relationship with the Holy Spirit. So look at that first point or that next point on your outline. So salvation is a spiritual decision. Salvation is a spiritual decision made by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual decision. I, I, I like to use that phrase because salvation is more than an intellectual decision. It's not two plus two equals four. It's more than that. Salvation is not just coming to an intellectual understanding, but it's coming to a place of conviction that you realize you need God. See, it's not just information. It is the revelation of God through the Holy Spirit that you need the forgiveness and the grace that comes through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And salvation is not just an intellectual. It is a spiritual decision that we act in by faith. And by faith, we receive the finished work of Christ. By faith, we recognize that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and by faith we make a spiritual decision to respond to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we are saved, born again, sealed with the Holy Spirit and promised a life in the very presence of God. How many are thankful today for the saving grace of Jesus? Come on somebody. Amen. Come on. That's, that was a little weak. How many are thankful you ain't going to hell? Come on somebody. <laughs> You guys are working way on the negative side today. I'm trying to help you. Let's finish that statement. So salvation is a spiritual decision, but transformation, think about this, is a daily decision. It's a daily decision made by faith in response to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So the difference between salvation and transformation is your daily response to the Holy Spirit. Salvation happens in a moment when you by faith accept Jesus Christ. But transformation happens over the rest of your life. And salvation becomes the springboard. It is the launching pad that God uses to catapult us into that relationship with God. To catapult us into a transformational life that only happens by our daily response to the Holy Spirit. Let, let's just be really honest with ourselves today. Church, we say this a lot. Church is a good place to be honest. There are a lot of people that have been saved, and their salvation was real, but their transformation has been slow. And let's just be honest, if we look at ourselves in the mirror, we could probably all say, I'm probably not as far down the road as I should be. Amen. And maybe I've taken a few steps forward and a couple steps back, and maybe I've allowed things in my life 
to become open doors where I've allowed temptation and the lust of my flesh and the pride of life to cause me to regress and digress instead of progress forward into what God has called me to be. And so there is a real difference between my salvation experience that definitely changed my life and the transformation of my life that happens as a result of a daily response to the Holy Spirit. See, faith in what Jesus has done is faith in his finished work. But faith and response to the Holy Spirit is, is a response into the daily work of God. And how many of you know the little children's song, He's Still Working on Me? To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the sun and the moon and the stars. But he's still working on me. And so what we want to recognize is the significance and the importance of that daily response. That daily response to the prompting, the leading, and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible gives us what I just want to call the Bible word. The Bible word for transformation. I want you to read it with me or see it with me here in just a second. Listen to what the Bible says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. The word sanctification literally in the Greek simply means this. It means to be, it means to be consecrated, dedicated, and set apart for the glory and purpose of God. When something was sanctified, it was set apart for God's glory. It was set apart for God's purpose. When you got born again, you were set apart. Can I get an amen? When you got born again, you were set apart. So there was the sanctification that happens at salvation. But how many of you recognize that he's still working on me? And there is a process of sanctification, I like to call it transformation, that happens as I daily respond to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life. And it's that process of sanctification, it's that process of daily becoming the person God has called you to be. We are who we are, but we also know we've been called to be something so much more. I think most of us can look at our lives and realize there is more. God has more for us. And the key to unlocking the more is surrendering to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives on a daily basis. It's learning to live in response to what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in our lives. Look, look at the rest of the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, Paul just flips the coin here real quick, and he automatically gives us a contradictory thought and revelation of what sanctification is not. Sanctification is not sexual immorality. Sanctification is not sexual sin. Sanctification is setting your life apart for the glory and purpose of God. And he says, so this is the will of God, your sanctification. Look what he says. So abstain from sexual immorality. How many of you understand sexual sin is a real deal in our world today? Sexual sin is a real deal in our world today. Statistics say that over 50% of all men in church are addicted to pornography. 
over 50%. I like to think our church is different. (laughs) But I don't go home with you. And I don't see what you're looking at on your phone. And I don't know what you're doing in private. And I found out, Kelly and I have learned, that pornography, what seemingly used to be a guy thing, is now a girl thing. And so the Apostle Paul kind of gets in our face just a little bit. He says, hey, let me just, let me just hit it with one of the top-notch things that's deal- that we're all dealing with. He said, there's this real thing called sexual sin and sexual immorality. And God's will is sanctification. So abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Because if I am living in sexual immorality, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not glorifying God. And I am not fulfilling his purpose. I'm not glorifying God, and I'm not fulfilling his purpose. And so I've automatically, through sexual sin, been disconnected from the very thing I've been sanctified and set apart for. I've been set apart to glorify God. I've been set apart to fulfill the purpose of God. But what does sexual sin do? Sexual sin, like all sin, comes in and disconnects me from the very thing I was set apart to do all the time. And that was to bring glory to God and fulfill the purpose of God of God for my life and then he goes on verse 7 he says for God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness the word holiness is exactly the same Greek word for sanctification again it means to be set apart therefore look at verse 8 therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So if I reject, think about this, he who rejects this, what am I rejecting? The sanctification of God. I'm rejecting the sanctification process, the transformation process of the Lord. He says if you reject the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, you're not rejecting man. This is not a church thing. How many know sexual purity is not a church thing? It's a God thing. Church just didn't come up with the idea and saying people ought to be sexually pure. Just because we don't want people to have no fun, right? We, we recognize that sexual sin is a sin against God. And it's a sin, the Bible says, sexual sin is a sin against your own body. And sexual sin, according to this scripture, disconnects me from the very thing I've been set apart to do. And that's bring glory to God and fulfill the purpose of God. And so he says, guys, I want you to understand that if you reject this, if you reject not just sexual sin, if you reject sanctification, that's what he's talking about. If you reject the process of becoming the person God's called you to be, he said, you're not rejecting religion, you're rejecting God who has given us the Holy Spirit. Why does he say that? Because it is the Holy Spirit that has been given to us to sanctify us. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to empower us to become the person God is calling us to be. So we recognize the significance of the Holy Spirit's role in our life. We recognize the significance that the sanctification process, the transformation process is only possible as I embrace and by faith honor and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. Is that okay? It says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. 
And when you believed in Christ, he identified you, and I put in parentheses, sealed you. That's the King James word. He identified you or sealed you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. So when you believed in Christ, he sealed you, identified you, and gave you the Holy Spirit. That's your salvation experience. When you came to Christ and had salvation, you believed in and accepted the finished work of Christ, you received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. God marked you. As his child. And he sealed you to identify you that you are his. But look at the next verse. He says, and the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. And that he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised to us. I want you to see something today. I've always read that scripture and thought of that inheritance as being that which we would receive in heaven. But the Lord has really begun to show me that the inheritance is not just a heavenly inheritance, but we have a kingdom inheritance. We are sons and daughters of God here and now. And Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in. So the heart of God is that through the Holy Spirit, we can receive our inheritance on earth as in heaven. The presence, the power, the provision of God for our lives is available, guaranteed to us. Think about this. Our guarantee that I have access to all of, all of my inheritance is through the indwelling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, look with me in Galatians chapter 5. Y'all kind of stick that inheritance thing in your head. We're going to come back to it. Galatians chapter 5. Paul says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So let me just clarify something. Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Galatia. They were Christians. He's speaking to people who have received the Holy Spirit. They are born again. They have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. And he says, hey guys, let me tell you something. If you'll follow the guidance or the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. Now what he did in that verse is he clarified something. He clarified, number one, that as born-again believers, they've received the Holy Spirit. They now have a divine nature. But he says, I need you to understand something. There's still a sin nature that wants to work against you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life don't go away as long as you got flesh. And so Paul is trying to bring them to a revelation that there is, there is a new nature called the divine nature, and then there's still a sin nature that wants to creep up and control our lives. So we have to choose who are we going to be led by, who are we going to be guided by, whose desires are we going to follow. It's going to be the daily response that's going to determine the transformation power of God. That we're going to see in our lives. Our daily response. Then he goes on. Look what he says. Verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. How many know that if you get mad enough quick enough. <laughs> your flesh wants to do some pretty ugly things. 
I know y'all look holy, but you're not that holy. You get mad enough, quick enough, and some desires and thoughts come into your mind that are not good and not godly and not pleasing, and we are all glad they don't get broadcasted on the screen in church on Sunday. Amen. You know why? Because the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. But the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other. He's talking to Christians. He said there's a real battle. There's a conflict that's happening in the heart of believers, a divine nature and an old sin nature that wants to creep up and rule you. But God has empowered you to walk in victory. These two forces, he says, are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. He does not say you can't carry out your good intentions. He just says you're not free. What does that mean? It means there's a battle. It means there's a war. There's a conflict that happens. And you're not free to just carry out the good things God wants you to do. You've got to continually crucify your flesh. You've got to continually walk away from the wrong things so you can say yes to the right things in your life. How many know every day there are real temptations that come our way? Every day there are real temptations that come our way to get in our flesh. To say and do and respond in ways that do not please God and do not cultivate the life that we all desire and want to live. And so Paul is not saying we're defeated. Absolutely not. He's saying we are victorious, but he's clarifying there's a real battle. And he's clarifying the key to overcoming the battle is that you've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you or you will lose the battle. And then he goes on. Verse 18, he says, but when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. We've come out from under the law of sin and death. We're now living under the law of the Spirit of life and Christ Jesus that gives us life. Amen? Verse 19, he says, but when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So Paul is about to give us a very clear pain. He's going to paint a picture of how do I know if I'm following the Spirit or following my flesh? How do I know if I'm being led by the Spirit or if I'm being led by my lust? He said, let me, let me be really clear. Okay, here it is. Look what he says. Verse 19, the results are very clear. Number one, sexual immorality. <laughs> it kind of tops the list. You know why? Because it's a real temptation. That every person has to face at one time or another. Impurities. Impurity of thought. Impurity of action. Impurities of motives. How many of you ever got around somebody and uh, they were saying all the right things, but you knew their motive wasn't right? It was impure. How many know that's not God? How many know God's not a manipulator? And God's not a deceiver? And then he goes on and he says, lustful pleasures. Let me just say this to you. Lustful pleasure is not just sexual sin. Lustful pleasure can be the lust that we have for the things of this world more than we have the, for the things of God. The Bible says this. The Bible says in the last days, people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You know what we'll do in America today? We will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to please our flesh and be entertained. We, we just went, we celebrated our anniversary. We just went, we went and saw the, the, the movie Sound of Freedom. Powerful, powerful movie. If you hadn't seen it, you ought to see it. And we went and we had an awesome time. 
I don't know if that was entertainment. It made me cry. So it was a, anyway, it was, it was a great movie. And we bought the big popcorn and the big drink because, I mean, I mean, we're just going to spend it all right when you go to the theater. You know what's crazy? People are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We'll go to the movies and spend $50 and come to church and give $5. You know why? Because we're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Think about how much money we spend on the pleasures of our flesh. And think about how much money we invest in the kingdom of God. It's a real deal, guys. It's real. I face it. You face it. We all face it. I'm not saying I got it. I'm just saying it's a real battle. We need to recognize that when I am consumed, nothing wrong with pleasure. It's lustful pleasure, right? Nothing wrong with going to the movies and having fun. Nothing wrong with taking a vacation. Nothing wrong with having a bass boat and going hunting. Nothing wrong with ladies going shopping and buying your favorite outfit. But when those things drive us... When those things consume us, when those things take precedence over our relationship with God, over the kingdom of God, over the purpose of God, over the mission of God in our heart, in our lives, and in our local churches, then we are out of order, right? We are in, we're following the flesh instead of following the Holy Spirit. And again, nothing wrong with pleasure. I'm going to go to another movie. I want to see Indiana Jones. There we go. I said it. There's my confession for the day. Verse 20, the results are very clear, he says, adultery. You begin to worship things. Your hobby becomes more important than your God. Your business becomes more important than God. Your finances become more important than God. Your family becomes more important than God. And we believe, we teach it at Liberty, we teach God, family, then ministry. I think that's a divine order. But if you're not careful, it'll be family, then God. And your family becomes an idol. And when I'm worshiping something, you become what you behold. And what you worship is what determines how you live your life. That's why adultery is so dangerous. You look at kids that mimic rock stars or sports stars. And you know what that tells us? There's their idol. You know how you, know how you determine who your idol is? Who do you look like? Who do you talk like? Who do you walk like? And who do you act like? Because you are going to walk, talk, and act like your idol. You're God. And is God your God or something else taking the place? Sorcery. Let me give you a modern-day definition of sorcery. Manipulation and control. Manipulation and control. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manipulate and control people. That happens in many areas. Look at the next part, words. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Man, doesn't that sound like fun? Somebody say not. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sin like these. So he says, hey guys, let me just be real clear. It's not that hard to tell whether you're following the flesh or following the spirit. Let me just lay it out. Here's works of the flesh. This ain't all of them, but this is some of them. This will give you a good understanding of whether you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit or whether you're following the lust of your flesh. Because where there is envy and jealousy and division and discord and strife and chaos and outbursts of anger, you are in the flesh. 
And he's not saying that to condemn us. He's saying that to warn us and to empower us to understand the reality of what's going on here. And that we have a choice. The victory is ours. The overcoming power is ours. And it's all wrapped up and rooted in our personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. So, let me read verse 21, last part. This is kind of a game changer verse. And it gets, I believe, wrongly misinterpreted. He says, so let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I thought he was talking to Christians. I thought he was talking to spirit-filled believers. And he was. So let me ask you the question. So if I struggle with envy, jealousy, and selfishness, does that mean I'm going to hell? I mean, let's be honest. Everyone in this room has probably struggled with envy, jealousy, or selfishness. Maybe in the last week. (laughs) Maybe you pitched the fit before you came to church this morning because you didn't get your way. (laughs) So does that mean you're going to hell? I believe the answer to that question is absolutely not. What it does mean, and we're going to look at this a little deeper, what it does mean, I believe biblically and scripturally, is this. If I follow the lust of my flesh as a Christian, I'm not going to hell, but my life's going to be hell. I'm not going to hell, but my life is going to be hell. It's going to be filled with strife and dissension and discord and all kinds of craziness, hostility and anger and dissension and bitterness and, and, and sexual sin and perversion and the lust of the flesh. I'm going to, if I follow the lust of my flesh, I may not go to hell, but I'm going to live a life of hell. See, Jesus died so that heaven could come to earth. He delivered you from hell, and then he died so that heaven could come to earth. And when you receive the gift of salvation and then refuse to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then what happens is is you've been delivered from eternal hell, but you're still living in hell on earth because you're living in rebellion against God. And you're just following the wrong voice. The Bible says those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He does not say they will not go to heaven. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. How do we receive the kingdom of God? We read it just a few minutes ago. The Holy Spirit guarantees that we will receive our what? Our inheritance. How do I receive my kingdom inheritance on earth as is in heaven? I receive it through obedience to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not advocating get saved and live any way you want to live. That's a horrible way to live your life. And if that's how you're living your life, I would even question your salvation. Because if you're born again and you don't have a desire to please God, then I have to wonder, are you really born again? But I do know this. I do know that there are a lot of born-again Christians that are following their flesh and not following the Holy Spirit, and they're living hell on earth. Their homes are falling apart. Their finances are falling apart. Their mental state is falling apart. They live in constant chaos, constant confusion, constant strife, constant all the stuff just consumes their life. Now, you don't get to control the choices other people make, right? You can follow the Holy Spirit and still be surrounded by chaos because people around you are following their flesh. But at the same time, there is is a peace and a joy that we're going to see that comes from the Holy Spirit when we begin to yield to Him. So look, look at that next point. So the Holy Spirit empowers us 
The Holy Spirit empowers us to receive our kingdom inheritance on earth as in heaven. And our greatest weapon, I want you to hear this, our greatest weapon against the world, our flesh, and the devil is our yes to the Holy Spirit. It's your yes to the Holy Spirit. It's saying yes to God on a daily basis. That's your greatest weapon. Your greatest weapon against the temptations of this world. Your greatest weapons against the lusts of your flesh. Your greatest weapons against the things that have risen against is a yes to the Holy Spirit. Paul started out Galatians saying, if you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, the key to a holy no is a holy yes. See, when I say yes to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I automatically say no to the lust of the flesh. When I say yes to his promptings, I automatically say no to my carnal desires. And I, I'm learning, and I hope you're learning this too, I'm learning that, that, that the more I lean into the yes, the more the no takes care of itself. Listen to what he says. He goes on in Galatians 5. Y'all still with me? Everybody good? Galatians 5 verse 22, he says, but the Holy Spirit, he's flipping the coin. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, but here's the works of the Spirit. Produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How beautiful that is. I don't know about you, that's the kind of life I want to live. I want to live that kind of life. I want to live my life filled with the love of God, not filled with hate and bitterness and resentment. Man, I get around people whose hearts are filled with bitterness and resentment and hate in their heart, and it grieves me so bad. I meet Christians that are carrying around hurts and wounds from their childhood that have been plaguing them for 30 years, and it breaks my heart. Because that means there's an area in their life they've not yielded to the Holy Spirit. There's a hurt they've been willing to let go of. There's a bitterness and a sin of somebody that somebody sinned against and that they've been unwilling to forgive and release to the Lord. Remember, forgiveness doesn't free them. Forgiveness frees you from what they did to you. And so all of a sudden we recognize love and joy and peace, the fruit of the Spirit. Brother Curtis and Diane, many of you know a little know this. Some of you don't. Curtis and Diane, they're one of our elders in our church. And Thursday, she fell off a stepladder, uh, broke her hip. Friday, she had to go in and have hip replacement surgery. Yesterday, she had internal bleeding from the surgery. Uh, they had to give her an extra pint of blood. They had to move her into the critical care unit. And we were uh, messaging and talking with Curtis. And, and Curtis texted me this message last night. He, he was telling me, that she was bleeding. She was telling me they were giving her blood. He was telling me they were putting her in the critical care unit. And then he closed his text with this. He said, but we have peace. But we have peace. How in the world do you have peace? Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. Diane told me this morning, I talked to him this morning on the way to church, and and Diane told me this morning, she said, yes, she said, when they rolled me back in the CCU, she said, I just looked at all of them. She said, there was a big team of people working on them. And she said, I just want them. She said, I told them, hey, I just want y'all to know, hey, I'm, 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 I'm abiding in Christ. And I've got peace with God. And I'm good. And I appreciate what all y'all are doing. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When everything seems to be going wrong and you're still doing right, that's the fruit of the Spirit. 
And we have this advantage. Look at that last point. Jesus said it is to our advantage that he goes away because he will send us the Holy Spirit. Our advantage over the world, the flesh, and the devil is our personal relationship with God the Father, God the Son, through the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. It's to your advantage that I go away. You know what's better than having Jesus in the flesh? Having the Holy Spirit. You know what's better than walking with Jesus in the flesh? Having the Holy Spirit. We have an advantage. And our advantage is we have the indwelling, empowering presence of the Spirit of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says this, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Because he who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. So I want to close with this question. I want our prayer teams, if they would, to come. And I want to just close with this question today. If God the Father is in heaven, and if you believe Jesus, he is. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If God the Father is in heaven, and Jesus Christ is in heaven, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus, once he ascended, He is seated at the right hand of God the Father where he forever lives to intercede for me and you. Jesus is in heaven seated at the right hand of God the Father. So here's my question. If God the Father is in heaven and Jesus is in heaven and the Holy Spirit is the only part of the Godhead that is on earth and at work in our hearts and lives today, then why are you ignoring him? Why are you ignoring the Holy Spirit? Why are you ignoring the secret and the key to your victory and your breakthrough? Why? See, today is an amazing day. Today, I believe God wants to just rekindle for many of us a fresh relationship. Good morning, Holy Spirit. When's the last time you acknowledged and invited His presence fresh in your life? When's the last time you you paused to give honor to God and to acknowledge the Spirit of the Lord that's within you? And so I, I want to do this this morning. I, I want to just open the altar. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you, but I really felt like the Lord said this morning that there were many here today that just needed to come and maybe just kneel on the altar. And you just made, maybe today you just want to say a fresh yes to the Lord. You want to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes to His fruit in your life. Yes to His prompting. Yes to His leading. Yes to His direction. That doesn't mean you've been living a bad life or an immoral life or a sinful life. It just means you realize there's more. Man, there's more. I want that yes life. I want that life that God created me for. So right now, I just want to open the altar. And maybe you just want to come say yes right now. Just come. Just, just come. If you want somebody to pray with you, our prayer teams will pray with you. But maybe you just want to come and kneel and just say yes to him. Maybe a good good morning Holy Spirit is appropriate right now. You just want to re-engage in that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and maybe, maybe you realize, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. I, I know that something changed to me, but maybe you've never even really for the first time acknowledged the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to dive into that today, but there is an empowering that comes from God through the person of the Holy Spirit that gives us victory over this world. 
and it's yours. And if you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, our prayer teams would love to pray with you. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, our prayer teams would love to pray with you this morning. All we got to do is ask. Jesus said, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. Because God loves you. So the altar's open for prayer of any reason. You need to come. Just say yes. You need somebody to pray with you. You come this morning. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. The last thing I want to do as we're praying is maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you realize all this talk about transformation and sanctification is awesome and amazing and wonderful, but you realize you've never taken step one, which is salvation. You've never even got on the launching pad to have a relationship with God. But today, today you say, Pastor Keith, today's my day. I realize, not information, but revelation. I know in my heart right now that God's real. And I know that if I were to die right now, I am not ready to meet God. I'm not ready. That don't make you a bad person. You know what the Bible calls sinners? We're all sinners that have been saved by grace. He calls us lost people. <laughs> you're not bad, you're just lost. You're lost. You're, you're far from home and you're far from God. You're far from the life God created for you. And God does not look at you with condemnation or accusation. God looks at you with love and compassion because he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he says, all the lost little sheep can come home today. You can stop wondering and you can come home because there's a God that loves you. And Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. And the Bible is really simple. It says that whosoever believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with their mouth that God raised him from the dead, they can and will be saved. So I want to ask you, if you're seated, just to bow your heads for just a minute. Every head bowed, every eye closed, as these pray in the altar. And if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be saved. I want to accept Christ this morning. I want you to make a very simple but very profound act of faith right now. I want you... In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I want you just to stand to your feet. Just a simple act of faith. Nobody's looking at you, but this is your moment. Just to stand up by faith and say, today I want to accept Christ. One, this is your moment. Two, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't have to wait. Right now the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. Right now there's that conviction in your heart. And you know if you were to die right now, you're not ready to meet God. But today you want to trust Jesus. You want to trust Him. You want to be saved. Three, that's your time right now. Just stand. Just stand up. All over this building. A simple act of faith. Just stand to your feet. I want to be saved today. Right now you know in your heart of hearts this is for you. God is speaking to you. God is dealing with you. It's just a simple act of faith. I want to pray with you this morning. Because I believe Jesus died for you. If you're watching online, I want you to just hit that chat box and say, Pastor Keith, I'm standing. I'm standing to accept Christ. I want to know Jesus today. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. This is your moment. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. So I'm going to just pray this prayer with you. And you can pray it. I want to ask everybody in the room to say it with me. If you're watching online and you raised your hand, this is for you. If you're here this morning, and maybe you wanted to stand, but you didn't, but you know right now you need Jesus, I want to pray this prayer for you this morning. Let's say it together out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins.
Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive Jesus and the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. If you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of the Lord. And maybe you prayed that prayer in the room today and you didn't stand up. I would love for you to do this for me. If you would, please let an usher know on the way out. We've got a little special packet we'd love to give you today. We want to help you take those next steps. I personally would love to follow up with you and help you take those next steps. So if you just let one of the ushers know, hey, I prayed that prayer today with Pastor Keith. They'll get you some information. And I'd love to personally follow up with you. If you prayed that prayer online, there's a link that you could click on. We'd love to follow up with you also and help you take those next steps in following the Lord this morning.